It's been one month since I started this podcast and I'm sure this month we're all going to get around busy with friends and families, feasting on good food. And what better time to really talk about food? If you are what you eat is true, then wouldn't what we put in our mouth really control the rest of our health and well-being? So on that note, to dispel the facts and the myths and to really deep, dive into what we should be consuming, I have the help of Pooja Vig. She is a functional medicine nutritionist and founder of the Nutrition Clinic. Uh, you describe your, yourself as a functional medicine nutritionist. So maybe we can start with that. What is functional medicine and how did you get involved? Hi, Pooja. Sure, first, I'd like to thank you for having me today. A really interesting topic that I, I'd love to share about. Um, my story started some 20 years ago, I, I, trained as a, I trained as a biochemist, I'm a scientist by training, and I worked in the healthcare industry for 15, about 15, 18 years. Um, I was very much on the business side of healthcare, so I worked in a venture capital fund investing in biotech startups. Um, it, was, it was great fun, I can't complain, you know, at that time I couldn't complain about it, but I had this voice at the back that was saying this is not what you're meant to do right and i guess you can call it gut instinct there was just this sense of seeking something different um and then there were a few triggers my father fell very very sick we um, took him to the united states for treatment so i was in a place called johns hopkins for three months with him and i started paying attention to a number of things one was that there was a lot more attention then at that time on this whole space of integrating mainstream medicine with complementary medicine. And, you know, I think today that that does exist in a much bigger way all over the world, mm-hmm. uh, including here. But I think at that time, there was that, that wasn't those connections were not quite made over here. So it was a personal interest of mine because I was seeing, you know, some my father, who I cared about very deeply, suffer a lot. And I was very grateful for medicine. Medicine was really, it kept him alive for Um, for uh, many years after he was first diagnosed. But I had this question, what about prevention? What can we as family members do? What can I do? What what does this mean? I think that's what I was was really asking. What does this mean? And when you're dealing with medical emergency one after the other, there's no space to think about what can you do, right? There's just no no, no time for it. But it stayed with me. And I I think I carried that thought for, for some time and I became personally quite interested in the whole space of was it stress? You know, was it something he ate? Was it, you know, he was the youngest of many, many siblings. Was was there a lab? Was there some deficiency you know, that he had? Um, what was it that led to him falling sick so, so, so badly? Um, and then the second trigger for me was a few years after that, I wanted to, I, was, I got married, I wanted to have a child and I was, in my gynecologist clinic, and I was told, "Look, you know, this is not going to happen naturally. I think we need to go down the road of IVF." And I was aware of time passing as well, but I, I think something inside me just said, "Stop! I'm ready to." Um, you know, I guess I was just ready for that by then to make some changes. So I quit what I was doing. Um, so I quit my job and I just went back to study. And I went to, you know, and, and nutrition was interesting to me because of 
um, being a biochemist, it just made sense, right? It, it felt like like an interesting space. I knew that stress plays a role, and I obviously it's, I still know that. But I think I was quite exhausted. I knew I was depleted, and today I can completely see those symptoms. I was really depleted, and so going down the road of counseling, did it just felt like I didn't have the capacity to. To, to do that, whereas nutrition felt like a safe space for me, and it's, it's about food, and, and, and it's, it's nurturing, and it's fun, and it didn't feel like I'd be going down this rabbit hole of dealing with emotions, little did I know that mm. you end up doing that anyway, no matter what you do, <laughs> um, and so I, in my studies, I came across this whole idea of functional medicine, now functional medicine basically believes that the body is a collection of, uh, it's a system, right, it's, it's a, you have to connect the dots, that it's not linear, so if you have pain, there isn't a single source of that pain. If you're tired, there isn't a single source of that lack of energy. It could come from a deficiency. It could come from a hormone. It could come from lack of sleep. Um, there could be so many reasons. And if you don't start looking at those root causes, you're missing the bigger picture. You can deal with the symptom, but you have to get to the level of root cause. And that just clicked for me, that whole idea that we need to deal with with things on a root cause level really, really connected with me. Um, so I trained in functional medicine. So I trained at the Institute for Functional Medicine. I trained with a whole bunch of doctors, largely doctors, but also complementary practitioners like myself. And we sat through a very rigorous training to really understand this whole systems biology approach. But the one, so, you know, there were, there were lots of conversations around hormones and stress and sleep, but the one thing everybody agreed on is it all starts in the gut. Heal the gut and only then does everything else work. So, you know, um, that, so that's functional medicine. And I think functional medicine, like all medicine, believes that health and disease is rooted in the gut. Um, so I call myself a functional medicine nutritionist just to not confuse people. I'm not a doctor. So mm -hmm. I don't, I, I want to be um, upfront about the fact that my focus is nutrition. It's it is uh, what I do, but I use I use a functional medicine process and a functional medicine lens uh, while I'm using while I'm working with nutrition. Thanks for the introduction, Pooja. It's very interesting to hear first about your personal story with your father, um, which I can greatly empathize and relate to because I lost my mom five years ago um, due to end-stage renal failure. So she's been on dialysis for eight years, and I had the same thoughts, right and like how how could we not have prevented this because she was suffering from chronic hypertension for many years and she didn't tell us until it was the late stage uh, her kidneys got, got uh, affected yeah. this is, my father had chronic hypertension and he was on dialysis for five years yeah exactly so it was he she was uh well maybe your father as well was on the point of no return right and uh, we were growing up at the time not knowing what to do so one of the last things that my mom told me one-on-one -on -one before she, when she was still able to talk on the hospital bed really was take care of your own health first right once you lose it there's no getting it back so that stuck with me. So um, I make it a point. I have two kids. I really want to make sure that I'm, I stay in top-notch uh, health condition so that I can spend more time with them. If, if not for myself, it's for them. And I hope it resonates with the listeners listening to this that, you know, you are in control of your own health, right? Yeah. And if you're scratching your head, where do I start? I guess today is... Is, is your lucky day you you know I hope this podcast can shed some light on very very simple facts 
you talk about nutrition, we are just all going to talk about food, nutrition, uh, and the connectivity, how it's linked to the gut. Um, so that's really what I want to focus today. Uh, and your background in uh, microbiology and in nutrition, you know, in getting to the science of food, right? What, what do you eat today versus tomorrow and the, next, uh, the day after? Uh, has a compound interest, put it that way, you know, you just don't eat well on one day, the next day you go back to fast food or processed food. So I guess the key is to make sure you eat a variety of food and then consistently over time. So I'm very, very thankful that you're on, on our podcast today to shed some light on this. Maybe just to give us a basic overview, okay, of the gut microbiome and in terms of the body absorbing the fruit, breaking it down, and then you know converting it into nutrients. Where does it go, and how 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 does the nutrient work inside our gut? I think it's it's a great starting point. Um, so you know the, there is a saying: "You are what you eat." I don't fully agree with that. I think you are what you eat, digest, and absorb. Because if you don't uh, absorb your food, it, it's not really doing its job. Mm. So when you think about the digestive tract. Um, there is the mechanical process of breaking down food, but what is uh, becoming really apparent in science is it's not just all mechanical. There is this population called the human, called the gut microbiome, and the microbiome refers to. They say it's between ten and ten and a hundred trillion different bugs. Now, they, these are bacteria, viruses, fungi, parasites. It's a large, large population of microbes that live in the gut. We have, as a collection, more microbes in the gut, on the skin, than we have human cells, right? So we have more genetic material that's non-human. We have more cells that are non-human. That so we, you know, we, we think we're in charge, but some people wonder, you know, uh, it's actually is is it. Is everything you're feeling and experiencing completely human or has that population also played a role in that? Now, we know that these bugs help you digest. We know that they produce some vitamins. What's becoming really interesting is that these also play a role in things like obesity, in autism, and, and in anxiety and depression. These uh, microbes have they produce chemicals, but they also help break down food in different ways. So to give you an example, um, when a baby consumes breast milk, the baby is not digesting it. It's the bacteria in the gut that's digesting mm. the breast milk. It's, they're really, really critical to human evolution. Um, and when you think about the ways in which we damage the gut microbiome, there is obviously uh, you know, bad foods. Think about processed food, high sugar food, um, you know, a lot of food that I don't even really consider food, right? So if you think about the so-called um, non-food food that people consume, uh, you think about stress and sleep, you think about medication. Now, you need you may need antibiotics, and if you need antibiotics, you need antibiotics. You can't, that's a non-negotiable. But we do recognize that overuse or abuse of antibiotics can have an impact on that gut microbiome. Mm -hmm. um, I know a lot of people who... Panadols like candy because they just think, you know, if I've got a slight headache, I need to take painkillers. That's going to have an impact on your body, including mm -hmm. that microbiome. Uh, I would like to talk about stress a little bit because I think when you think about the gut, you think about digestion, and that's completely true. But there is this connection between the gut and the brain as well. Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of people who I work with, 
um, we find that digestion starts getting better, obviously with making food changes and, and taking the right supplements, but managing stress is really critical because your nervous system, there is a separate nervous system connection between the brain and the gut. And so, and, and I think as humans, we know this, right? So it's been there in literature, the butterflies in the stomach, it's all real. You actually experience a lot of your emotions in the gut. And that's not just something that's um, you know there because we, you know, we've grown up to believe it. It's actually real. And I think science is now picking up, uh, picking up those cues. Right. So you mentioned about um, things that damage the gut over time, antibiotic use, um, you know, when you pop painkillers, uh, when you eat really food that are non-foods that are bad for your health. How would someone know whether their gut is in top-notch condition? Because I think oftentimes people find out when, you know, you have a problem or symptom, you have indigestion, bloating, and uh, inflammatory diseases. Um, yeah, so what, what, how, how would you advise someone to get it checked in the first place, number one? And number two, oh. you know, can it be restored if it's damaged? So I'd like to go back to, I think I didn't complete my story of how I got interested in nutrition. Sure. So when I think back to where I was at when I said, okay, I'm going to try, not, not go down the IVF route and try this on my own, I think I recognized on, um, on a level that my body was depleted. I was tired. I wasn't, I was tired and wired. I wasn't sleeping well. I had some bloating. I had some hives that had come out of the blue. These are small symptoms. Not, nothing was big. Nothing was, you know, there wasn't something huge that was making me say, oh, my body is, is a complete mess. I was losing hair. I realized, I remember that. There were lots of these little symptoms. And I now look at these symptoms as the way in which your body communicates with you, right? So I knew, I, I think intuitively, I knew I wasn't feeling my best. And so... What I did, which today, you know, when I when I look back at what I did, I think I did take step-by-step -step processes. And these are the processes we've now organized in the clinic and we, we tell our, our clients to do. You start by just crowding out some of the bad stuff, right? So I just crowded out processed food. I was, uh, I, I used to eat a lot of bread. I used to love baking bread. I realized along the way that I'm gluten sensitive. Mm -hmm. um, so cutting out bread was huge for me. And that, and if I eat bread today, my hair starts falling. So I know now that gluten was responsible for some of that, um, some of that process. Um, first, I think we, I, I cut out that. And then I started bringing in really, nourishing i you know i i did go down the road of buying organic food uh which uh, you know which i think really did help but i think it just comes from this awareness and this respect i had this sense that i have limited time i'm going to try and make every meal count right mm -hmm. and i think if you go with that approach some of it is actually common sense that we've known all along and we've just not put it into practice so get rid of stuff that isn't real food so get I used to consume, I think, a can or two of Diet Coke every day. It's shocking, shocking to me today that I used to do that, but I used to do that, right? So the bread went and the Diet Coke went and anything processed and fast food, it all went one by one. And then real food came on the plate. Wait, um, can I just pause you for a second? How did you do that to ditch Diet Coke and, you know, you, you know, drinking it every day too? Is it all or nothing? You just went cold turkey? You know, I think, I think my motivation was very high at that stage. Because I knew I was 34, 35 years old, and I knew that it was now or never. If I didn't get this mm -hmm. done, 
I didn't get, it, it was my personal experiment. I was biohacking to see, I've said no to the doctors, let me do my best, right? So I had a lot, there was a lot at stake for me. Um, not everybody's in that situation. And today I have a 12 year old beautiful daughter. Uh, by the time I got pregnant, I was at that point where I was thinking, okay, I was questioning myself, am I doing the right thing? You know, and and it all worked out, and I actually felt my best. So that's the thing. I knew it. I knew something was working because my symptoms resolved one by one. The symptoms did start going right. down, and I knew I was at my best. I just didn't know if this experiment that I had started was going to work. But I knew I was. I knew I was healthier. So mm-hmm. that that was something that I was aware of. Now taking this to my clients, who are not all in the same situation. There's some people who just. Um, don't don't feel you know don't feel a hundred percent, but their motivation may not may not be the same. What we do at the clinic is we really believe in data. We really start collecting information about each of our clients. Mm. So one piece of data is the symptoms that they come in with. Um, the second piece of data are assessments that we run. So we check for food sensitivities. We check for deficiencies. We look at how. Your nervous system is responding. Now, once you start telling people or explaining to people that what you're feeling is real and there might be a reason, we start connecting those dots to people. Mm. That is highly motivating. I Mm. think that's something we do really well because just saying, make these changes because I say so, you know, it's, it's fine. Some people will follow that. But I think we need to feel emotionally connected to the process we're going through. We need to know why we're doing it. So um, I think we do that well. I think we take the knowledge and I think we take that personalization. And I think when you put that together, I think it is it, is, it does motivate people. It does inspire people. We also do, uh, we do what I do, but we also have a coach in our practice. Mm-hmm. And coaching is a really important part of this process because just because you know you need to do something doesn't mean you're going to do it because, as you said, we have habits. Right. And so we take this approach of do make small changes. Even if you just change one meal a day, you don't have to change all three. Even if you're just having one extra portion of vegetables, it's a great start. And we don't, we, we meet our clients where they're at. So if their diet is not where we want it to be, we will work with them step by step because it can be overwhelming to say, drop everything you're doing and eat. A different way and food is not just nutrition it is it is emotion it is family it is your heritage it's what you've grown up with right so it's yeah. not uh it's it's not just nutrition and we, we do respect that that people may have certain uh certain reasons for being attached to food now if it comes to things like coke diet coke fast food i'm quite brutal when it comes to those <laughs> things <laughs> but when it comes to real food yes and you know you can negotiate with me as long as it's real food but yeah. if it's non-food then no, there's no negotiation. <laughs> yeah, thanks for sharing that. I, I I believe you know. Um, I really believe in the personalized approach as well because there's no one size fits all. Our all our bodies are different. The number of bacteria in our guts might be might differ. Um, stress levels, how much we sleep. You know, you brought up stress as well. It's the whole gambit of uh, in the works, not just food. Um, but I guess food is the foundation, right? It's where we sort of build the pillars out, uh, so to speak. So I really want to dive deeper into that. Um, what would you recommend as the key basics that people need to get right, that you would tell each and every one of your clients to start with? So the basic foundation of diet is 
Um, if you look at your plate, you want a large chunk of that, preferably half of that to be vegetables. Mm -hmm. So you want to get uh, you want to get vegetables. Now vegetables have a whole bunch of nutrients, as everybody knows. There are uh, there are there are vitamins, there are minerals. There's lots of antioxidants. You want to get a rainbow because each color has its own different benefits. So a lot of people do well on greens, but then they don't go beyond greens. So you want to get that whole rainbow. Uh, vegetables are also a source of fiber. Now fiber is food for your probiotics. So mm -hmm. coming back to that gut microbiome, the gut microbiome has um, if, if we are lucky, largely probiotic, good bacteria, what we call good bacteria, there can also be the not so good bacteria or uh, what we see a lot of is an overgrowth of yeast. Mm -hmm. Now, in order to feed your good bacteria, you want to get a good portion of fiber with every meal, with most meals, right? So, um, and, and there are prebiotic products out there, but I don't see the point of popping a prebiotic pill or even a probiotic pill if you're not going to first feed your gut right, right? So my first thing would be drop the supplements, focus on food. Mm -hmm. Don't put your money in supplements unless you've sorted out food, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's, it's it's really the wrong way to say, I'll eat what I want and I'll pop, pop some pills and then everything will be okay. So put that extra money into getting good quality food. Um, get lots of vegetables, get protein. Protein is really important. Now we had a conversation earlier about vegetarian protein versus, versus non-vegetarian protein. Um, obviously, when I work with clients, I respect where they're coming from. Um, I do think getting protein is important. How you get it is in what format you get it, perhaps is, is secondary. I do find, though, that with people who have very severe gut issues, they don't do so well with beans and legumes. So whether mm. it's soya bean or lentils uh, or like chickpeas, those, those foods can be harder for some people to digest. Um, we always want them to have a portion of healthy fat. Now, the level of fat you eat depends on a number of factors, uh, but we all need some healthy fats in the diet, things like avocados, nuts, seeds, olive oil, coconut oil, um, in, in measured amounts, depending on, on their health status. Um, and then we come to carbohydrates. Now, carbohydrates are, uh, carbohydrates are sugars in some ways, right? So white sugar is, if I look at all sugars, all carbohydrates, White sugar is my least favorite, obviously. We want that to be out. Um, then you have fruit, and I think fruit is great, but people can overdo fruit, and it is still sugar. So you yeah. want to have moderate amounts of, of fruit. Um, you want to have starchy starchy vegetables, things like potatoes, sweet potatoes, pumpkin. That's a great source of prebiotic as well. Where it really gets personalized is grains. Now, some people do okay with some grains, uh, by grains, I mean things like rice, noodles, bread, pasta. Uh, some people really don't do well on grains at all. And that's where it really is dependent on their situation. So if somebody's coming in with very severe, if they already have very severe gut symptoms, I may cut out grains completely for a period of time. Mm -hmm. um, for people who don't, then we would keep some grains in. So we would, we would obviously look at their particular situation. But that's what I would call a healthy plate. Um, the other thing with reducing grains is we all tend to eat more carbohydrates than we're really burning. So you don't need a large amount of grains anyway. But whether it's on or off your plate depends on, on a personal situation. But the basics are get something fresh, get some vegetables, get some fruit, get some protein, get some fat. There are some superfoods when it comes to gut healing. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, some people do really well with green juices, uh, green juices and green smoothies. Um, I'm a big fan of bone broth. Now, obviously, that's not, doesn't work as well for vegetarians 
for obvious reasons, but for people who do eat some animal protein, boiling bones and making a soup out of it is very, very nourishing. Mm-hmm. Um, bone broth has a particular uh, protein called collagen in, in it, and collagen is fantastic for the gut. It's also fantastic for the joints and skin and hair. Um, and collagen is something you can get from bone broth. You can also get collagen from a supplement if you know, if you're not either able or willing to do the, the bone broth option. Um, bone broth also has uh, an amino acid called glutamine, which is very good for the gut. So getting those superfoods in, in through your diet is just a really good idea. Um, and I, I do tend to get my clients on bone broth if they're suffering from gut-related issues. Yeah, I, I've heard of bone broth. Do you actually drink it um, like a detox for two or three days? Or you sort, you, you, you quite sort of complement your meals? So I don't rush people into things like a fast or a detox mm-hmm. because if their stress hormones are off, like if their nervous system is not in a good place and you do something like that, it can really exhaust them or they can end up having other issues like not sleeping well or even yeah. for women having issues with their hormones. So we would reserve something like a, a fast or a bone broth detox really near the end of the work we do with our clients because right. then we know them well enough and we know that everything else is in place. Uh, but um, I, for most of my clients, I just say drink bone broth. You can puree it you know, with, uh, with vegetables and make a soup out of it or have an Asian-style meal with mm. you know, like a broth with, with some greens inside. Right. Um, you mentioned about yeast. There is a tendency of an overgrowth of yeast. I'm fascinated with that. Uh, it's also known as candida, fungus uh, overgrowth, right? Infection. What is the association and um, to to gut health, and how can we actually get rid of it? I'll tell you what we've learned from our experience. We do find that people with skin-related issues tend to have an overgrowth of yeast. Um, almost everybody I've worked with who's had eczema or psoriasis yes. tends to have a yeast, yeast-related issue. Also for people who have bloating and this kind of fogginess in the brain, it's often yeast that, that shows up as, as one of the culprits. Um, yeast loves sugar. So there we go back to the plate you know, with, with less sugar. Yeast loves alcohol. So again, we look at the diet. Oh. And <laughs> so you can see the patterns there, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's actually something we, we work with quite a lot of people on balancing that. You know, and I look at the gut as balancing the gut. So it's not yeast is not a it's not a bad so-called bad organism, right? It's it's meant to be there. It's just overgrown. And so I look at the gut like it's a garden and mm-hmm. yeast might be an overgrowth of weeds, right? And your probiotics would be growth of the pretty flowers that we want in your garden. And we look at balancing it out so that you have more flowers and fewer weeds. But the fundamental issue is still the soil, right? Mm. And if the soil isn't right, you can keep throwing seeds and flowers into your garden, but it's not going to work till the soil isn't right. And the soil is the foundation. So that's your food. That is sleep. That is stress management. Um, That's just making sure that you're getting all those pieces in place on a regular, preferably daily basis, so that that soil is nourished and I do believe that the body has massive intelligence. So it's really, we need to get out of the way. We need to give it what it needs. We need to basically put in what's missing, take out what it doesn't want, and then just let it do what it does well. Um, we don't need to go in and you know massively tinker with it. Um, and our assessments help us identify where we want to 
pull back something or bring in something. That's really what we are doing. And then the body has its own intelligence for taking over. I love the analogy of the garden and you have to take care of the tent to the soil first so that the nutrients will grow, the plants will grow and not overweed it or have too many plants. Um, yeah, and I want to know, you know, in using that same analogy when you have overgrown of yeast and um, um, bacteria and the weeds are everywhere. In, in Talk to me about the leaky gut, right? We've probably heard about it before. And uh, what is it? And... No, do we if we do have a some extent of leaky gut, which I think everybody has, you know, it's a matter of how 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 uh, bad it is. What can you do to change uh, your diet and restore your leaky gut problem so that you can come back to the root cause? I think you talked about earlier the root cause, and if you could also share with us some of the you may, uh, any of your clients have gone through this. How did how did you use your the, the data that you've collected at your clinic? So leaky gut, the, the scientific word words for leaky gut is intestinal permeability. Um, the gut lining is a single cell lining. And if you look at the intestine, it's just one cell. And I compare it to immigration, right? You've got these cells and they're lined up really tightly, like when you're going through passport control and, and, and when we used to travel. And um, if everything is working well, you only get through if you have the right passport, right? So similarly, food is consumed, it's digested, you have these nutrients broken down. And if everything is working well, the nutrients get into the bloodstream and everything that needs to go out goes down the toilet. Now, imagine that gut lining, imagine that passport control, and there are holes in it. So there isn't proper control, which means anybody can get through, anything can get through. And so intestinal permeability means that the it's more permeable than it needs to be. It's more, it's allowing more in than it needs to. And if you imagine that gut lining where you had cells that were tightly sitting close to each other, imagine now they have gaps between them. They're inflamed. Mm -hmm. What causes that inflammation? And I, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record because I'm going to go back to the same old things. It is stress. It is the lack of, I, I think stress and sleep is actually huge for the gut. And I think it's one of the things we find even, you know, if we just work on that, the gut starts shifting even before we do anything around the gut. So stress and sleep, antibiotic use, um, toxins, and, you know, our body is exposed to more toxic elements than we've ever faced before. Um, and, you know, whether it's pesticides or just what's in the environment, what we're producing on our own, there's just this load that the body has to deal with. And each one of these individually is not going to, you know, people might say to me, well, you know, so, okay, I am stressed. Everybody's stressed. I am eating non-organic food or I'm eating, you know, I'm eating fast food once in a while. It's not, it's not the end of the world and it's not, but it's a loading issue. At what point does it get too much for the body? At a certain point, there is, there can be inflammation in the gut. And what can happen at that point is you can develop food sensitivities. Now, food sensitivities are fascinating. Uh, the most common food sensitivities that we find are, to gluten, dairy, and eggs. Those are the three mm. most common food sensitivities. And um, for people who have those sensitivities, once they take them out, there is a calming um, in, in, the, in, the, in the digestive system. Sorry, what this are the three? The dairy, eggs? Gluten, gluten, gluten dairy, dairy, and eggs. Okay. In, in that order. Mm. So gluten is the predominant. Um, so leaking out basically means that that whole lining is no longer doing its job or it's, it's compromised in its ability to do the job. Um, nutrients are not getting absorbed well. 
It also creates this environment where you can have an overgrowth of the weeds. It's basically the soil not, not working so well, right? Um, now, how do you reverse it? We always try to reverse things in the order that the problem started. And in most cases, the problem starts with stress. So we work on stress. We work on sleep. We work on food, obviously. We work on getting the fiber in and the healthy fats in and enough protein in. Um, for people who need extra support, they can take digestive enzymes because if you've been stressed for a long time, you, you know, if you, if you imagine your body when it's tense, you don't produce the right digestive enzymes. You don't produce the right levels of stomach acid. So all of that, you need to support the body through that. Um, even as simple as, we just look at how we chew our food. Are we chewing enough? So, mm -hmm. it, you know, probably not for most people. Uh, and, you know, even I will say that there are times when I'm eating in a hurry and I'm not sitting down and, and I'm aware of it. So I know... You know, we all, and, and I don't, I don't, I, I hope my clients will say, I don't take this role that, you know, it, it's, it's got to all be perfect, but I think you've got to start with awareness. You've got to start with awareness that you want to take a deep breath, enjoy your meal. I don't see how food can be digested if you're all wired up and, uh, you know, and, and I even would go as far as to say, if you're looking at your plate of vegetables and protein and looking at it and feeling sorry for yourself on a, this is kind of getting um, a, a little kind of out there, but I don't see how it will nourish you if you're not looking at that as you nourishing your body. You're making, yeah. you're, you're doing something to nourish your body, to feed your body, right? And you should ideally enjoy that process. If you're looking at that plate thinking, oh my God, why am I having to eat this? I don't think that's the right approach, right? So yeah. it's, it's really the uh, sum of parts that add up. I wish there was one magic wand that would deal with leaky gut. There isn't. But the steps that you do repeatedly, daily, really do add up. Um, it, it's incredible how the body will do that. I've been working with somebody who's had um, polyps in the colon. So, you know, his doctor said that he would need surgery, but he wanted to give this, uh, give what we do a shot. And we, we worked together for a good eight months and the polyps have actually reduced in size dramatically. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, there's now no need for surgery and he's, trying to get you to the point where the polyps disappear completely. Um, you know, he's worked really hard. I think you, you also do get out of this what you put in. And I think um, there isn't a magic wand, but, but it works if you do it, if you put everything together. Right. Thanks for sharing that. I guess the good side of things that emerge from this year being locked down and in the pandemic is that more people are cooking at home now, right? Work, working from home. And, and then we have we are forced to cook from home. We are forced to buy fresh groceries. Yeah. So how would you advise people in terms of, you mentioned the, the, the full plate, you know, is there any differences in the way you cook and prepare the, 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 the food? Yeah. What's your take on that? I like I like, um, I like mixing things up. So I do like some raw food, but I'm not a big believer in like the complete raw food diet. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that's, I don't think that's right. And I think uh, I always go back to history, right? You always go back to evolution. I don't think we would have evolved had we not learned how to, how to cook. I think cooking has been that turning point in evolution when we were able to get more extract more nutrients from our food. Mm -hmm. So personally, I don't like a complete raw food diet, but obviously having a raw meal is fantastic. So uh, if somebody comes in with very, uh, with some digestive symptoms, they're really not digesting well, I will say no raw mm -hmm. till your digestion is stronger because raw food has to really be 
kind of cooked by the body. You're requiring yeah. it to break it down even more. Um, but ideally, I would say if you can handle it, one raw meal, one cooked meal. Um, okay. Like, must have cooked meal at night rather than cold. So I do believe in this more traditional. I think this is in in Chinese and in yes, Indian. Yes, it is. Yeah. You don't we we, we prefer night. warm water than ice water as well. My mother exactly. would always say that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So warm food at night, um, cold food in the day, if if you can tolerate it. Um, I think people are cooking more. I think they're also ordering it more. Uh, the good thing with you know, I, I understand that not everybody can cook at home. There are a lot of better options now, though, in Singapore. We do have a lot of people who are uh, delivering healthier meals, mm -hmm. and I think it's fine to avail of that. So uh, we, we do help our clients um, look at both options. We would like them to cook because you can control everything mm -hmm. down to the oil and even the cookware you're using. Mm -hmm. But if you can't, then you can look for this option where you order in healthier meals. Mm -hmm. um, and if you can't, then when you eat out, we'll tell you how to order. You may not, you won't control the quality of oil or the cookware, but you can control at least what goes onto your plate. Right. I guess that's a, a good thing to be aware. Even when you're ordering outside, you need to watch out on, you can ask for less oil, less salt, mm -hmm. or you can look for alternatives. Um, sometimes Absolutely. we forget about that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think uh, I do tell my clients that you really need to be in charge of your plate. You can't let somebody else decide what goes into it. So you can eat almost any meal and ask for a few changes, and it can work out. It doesn't. You don't have to. You don't have to accept it the way it's presented to you. I love that. Be in charge of your plate and your money <laughs> that you're actually spending. <laughs> Thank you so much, Fuja. I had a lovely chat. Maybe to wrap up our session, uh, is there one advice, you know, if you can share with us what you would like people to pay more attention to? In general, gut health doesn't have to be just food. One key takeaway, if they don't remember anything at all, this is what they have to remember. So the one thing I'd say is your body is communicating with you. Your body is sending you messages. It can take a good 10 to 15 years from when something starts changing on a cellular level till it's diagnosed as an illness. There's a long process mm -hmm. and the body does give you signs and, and we call it symptoms, right? But many symptoms till they're loud enough, we don't pay attention to mm -hmm. them. So my one piece of advice would be to start paying attention to the messages coming from the body. Um, don't just, um, what I see a lot of people doing is, oh, if I'm feeling tired, I must push through and go for a spin class because how dare I feel tired, right? Yes. It's that said, I'm going to push and I'm going to be more aggressive. If you're feeling tired, it's time to rest. If you're not feeling well, you don't just pop some flu medication and then go to work. It's, it's your body saying that it's time to rest. So I think just that ability to listen to the body is, is a great starting point. And I guess when you have the energy to do it, to come back to it, make up for it, you know, do two rounds of exercise, you know. Uh, yeah, it's really um, give and take in life and really listening to your body. Thank you so much for your advice, Pooja. It's Thank such a pleasure. I would love if you could nominate somebody in your circle to come on my podcast to also share awareness and spread the awareness of gut health. So let me know yeah, if you think of someone and I really appreciate your time today. So to everyone, eat well, take care, till we speak again.